You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, so we are now well into uh, this book of 1 Timothy. I hope you're seeing how practical it is. Uh, If you're new, if this is your first time here, Paul is writing to a young pastor. His name is Timothy, and he has been tasked with cleaning up this church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a big city. It's a center of world religion at the time, so there's all kinds of things going on in the city, and then even more so within this this church, this little outpost of believers there in Ephesus. So this is a dawning task that Timothy has. He's a young man, but Paul is just work, walking him through the basics. Um, Bill and I keep referencing this verse, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. We're actually going to get there next week. Uh, but Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So each week, we're just kind of walking through these, these practical things about the church. If you're, if you're new to the church, this is hopefully a way for you to say, oh, okay, that's why they do that. Some of these words, uh, deacon, oh, okay, so that's what that means. Now I understand. Or, or maybe you come from a church background that just sort of did these things and nobody understood why, and so hopefully for you, this is clarifying. Okay, all right, now, now I understand why we do these things in the church. So we've talked about false teaching, we've talked about praying together, we've talked about the roles that men and women ought to have together in the church, and um, last week we started this, this, this section on leadership, and we're right in the middle of that this morning. So leadership is big business. If you could write a book on leadership, and it were to catch fire, you could be a very rich person. Names like John Maxwell, Stephen Covey, uh, Simon Sinek, maybe you've read some of these books, Good to Great, The Seven Habits of a highly, of highly Effective People, Start With Why, there's all kind of leadership books out there, it's a whole industry. Personally, I, I try to read a book like that at least once a year, and Generally, there's some, some concepts in there that are very helpful um, for me as a leader in my home or in the church. Um, but there's a clear difference, and, and we know this, in the philosophy of the, the sort of God-denying world system when it comes to leadership and, and the philosophy of the church. So, so what kind of things does the world look for in a leader? They, you know, they want somebody who's going to make money, keep the customer happy. Um, successful leaders in sports, you've got you to win games, you've got to attract talent. Uh, successful leaders in politics, they have to get elected, and they have to stay elected, and then they have to keep those people that elected them happy. And all of this often begins to be accomplished regardless of righteousness. It's, it's I will do whatever it takes to accomplish what I need to accomplish. And that's, that's very much the world's view of a leader. But so what do successful leaders in the church do? What, what is it? How do they do it? How, how do we know that our leaders are doing a good job? Is it, is it just seats filled 
on a Sunday morning. If you've got a church where the seats are filled on a Sunday morning, does that mean it's a successful, successful church? Or that, you know, the, the offering boxes are full and the bank accounts are full? Is it, is it sunny services? It, you know, should we, you know, sort of send you guys, uh, you know, I like this part, I, do, I don't like this part, you know, the, the, the drums were too loud, um, you know, the, the preachers, the, he he's, he's talks about football all the time. Um, and, and what kind of people are we looking for? You know, is it, is it a guy with a bunch of degrees? Is it a guy who's written a book? Is it a guy whose blog or Twitter has a lot of followers? Do you think it's possible to build a church without the power of the Holy Spirit? And sadly, it is. If we have enough money and if we have enough talent, we can put on a pretty good show and people will, be, will come, and they'll, they'll be impressed. By the way, I would say what God is looking for in a successful church, I'll tell you this story. I called an old friend of mine last, that last week in Chicago. I wanted to talk to him about a couple things. He was an elder at a church. He discipled me uh, at a church where I was um, a, a good, good bit of time ago. And I, I said to him, I said, just how's it going up there? Like, how's it going at the church? And he said, I, I, this word, I've, I've told everybody about this. Um, he said to me, he said, David, we are in an unprecedented time of favor and blessing at our church right now. And I was like, praise God, praise God. You know, for all of the time, all the criticism, you know, that the church takes and all the different, you know, murmuring that goes on, praise God to just hear somebody say, we are in an unprecedented time of favor and blessing. And he said, you know what it's largely due to? He said, We've, been, we've had a renewed emphasis on prayer uh, since the fall. The pastors are praying, the elders are praying, the body is praying. And he said, God is just blessing that. And, and, and he doesn't mean by more people in the seats and more money in the bank account. He's, he's talking about unity and conversion and fruits of the Spirit and life change. Those are the things. Those are the things that we want to see if we're going to be a successful church. So, back to leadership. Throughout leadership, then, God has had very specific things that he's looking for in a leader. Um, look at Moses, you know? I mean, really, maybe like Moses in Egypt, you would say, yeah, good leader, but then he flees, he flees off, he murders a guy, he goes off into the desert, and y'all, for 40 years, he's a shepherd. And he doesn't want to do anything. And then even when God comes to him in the burning bush, you know, he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And God says, no, I, I've chosen you. You're going to lead my people. And he says, he comes up with all these lame excuses. God says, no, you're the guy I want to lead my people. You know what it says about Moses in, in the book of Numbers? It says that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Is, is that what we think about when we think about our qualifications for a leader. Another great example is, is sort of the famous story of Saul and David, right? So the people come to Samuel and they say, we want a king like the other nations. And Samuel says, okay. And they go and they get Saul. And he's this big, strong, good-looking guy. The first time he comes on the scene, everybody's like, yes. That is exactly the kind of guy that we're looking for. And he's a disaster. He's an absolute disaster. He ends up spending the, the end of his days hunting down David to try to kill him in this sort of fit of jealousy. 
and his kingdom is fallen by the wayside. But then you have David, and Samuel goes out to, to, to Jesse's sons, and he looks at all the boys, and he's, he says, oh, this one's good, this one's good, this one's good. And God famously says to him, do not look on his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So there's something different about the kind of person that God is looking for to lead his people. Greatest leader who ever lived, Bill mentioned this last week, Jesus Christ said this in Mark 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The world's idea of leadership says push your way to the top. It doesn't no matter how, how you treat people. It doesn't matter what lies you have to tell. The, the most important thing is that you get to the top. And Jesus says, No. It shall not be that way among you. Whoever wants to be great should be a servant. Because the greatest leader who ever lived came not to be served, but to serve. That's radical. People, if people see us leading like that, they're going to say, what is going on? I've never seen anything like this. And just to be clear, um, if you don't know Jesus, this type of leadership is not going to make sense to you, okay? Um, our problem is sin. And, and not only does sin warp our view of leadership, but it actually puts us under the wrath of a holy God. So, so even in this sermon about deacons, I just want to pause for a moment and say, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, the penalty for sin against God is separation from him and, and, and death, okay? But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died as a ransom for sinners and, and rose from the dead, accomplishing his mission to save, all right? So, so let's just be clear about this. What we need is salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. If all you hear this morning are some good leadership principles from the Scripture, then I have failed, all right? The goal is that we know Jesus Christ and that once we know him, we can obey him and we can lead our homes and our businesses and our churches in a way that honor him. So I hope, no matter what, that you leave here this morning knowing Jesus so that you can live and lead as he has instructed us to do. Okay, so here's the big point about leadership from God's perspective. God doesn't really care about talent. He doesn't really care about intelligence. He doesn't really care about money. God is looking for people who are desiring to serve him and to love him. He cares about the heart. As a matter of fact, what he's looking for is weak people through whom he can put his glory on display. Because God wants us to be this, this sort of channel of his glory so that people would say, I don't know how that happened, but it had to be supernatural. You know, David Cleland used to be this, but now he is this. I don't know how that happened. God must have done something. And we're putting God's glory on display through our weakness. That's the kind of people that God is looking for to lead. All right, so 
Let's then turn to the role of deacons. All right, so we're here this morning to talk about deacons. We're in this second part of 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can go ahead and turn there. We'll get there in just a second. As Bill mentioned uh, last week, if you grew up in a Baptist church in the South, your view of deacons may be a little bit uh, different maybe from what the, the Bible has said. Because you, you probably grew up in a church, especially if it was a Baptist church, where the deacons ran the church, all right? And they were sort of this like um, secret society of decision makers. And in a lot of churches in the South, the deacons have sort of tended to function like elders, but that's not the picture of deacons that we actually see in the Bible. Probably the best way to understand what a deacon does is to think about the word a little bit, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nerd out on you for just like, like a couple of minutes, okay? Um, because the word deacon in the scripture is what we call a transliteration, all right? This will not be on the test, okay? Um, but a transliteration is a word that the translators, for whatever reason, decided to just pull out of the Greek and just make it an English word, okay? So Christos is the Greek word for Christ, so they just pulled that out. Or baptizo is the word for baptism, so they just pulled that out, okay? So they did the same thing with deacon, all right? It's this word um, diakonos, all right? And it means to serve. It means a server or a servant, okay? So for some reason, rather than just translating the word deacon, server, they just pulled it out and they, they made it a word in itself, okay? So any time in the New Testament, for the most part, that you see the word serve or minister, it's the word deacon, okay? So for instance, in Mark 1, uh, Jesus comes to Simon's house, Peter's house, and it says, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, and immediately she told him, they told him about her, and he, Jesus, came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to deacon. She began to serve them, okay? So, so at its root, the word deacon simply means to serve, okay? So when we talk about the office of deacon, I just want you to understand, you could actually take that out. We could call that elders and servers, and we would be right in line with what the Bible teaches us about deacons, okay? Now, some of you who have been around the church for a little while, you may be familiar with Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. A lot of people think that's where the sort of idea of deacons comes from. If you're taking notes, write that down. You can look at it later, but basically what happens is this dispute arises in the church between um, Greek widows and Jewish widows, all right? So certain problems go all the way back to the beginning, all right? Because the Greek widows feel like they're not getting as much attention as the Jewish widows. And the apostles are like, I got so much to do, I don't know what we're going to do about this. So what they decide to do is they appoint seven men filled with the Spirit uh, Stephen was one of these guys, and these guys are responsible then to go and to help work this situation out with the widows, and they're, they're serving them. So, so the apostles can't possibly meet all of these needs, so these, these seven men come and they engage in this very practical service in the church, okay? Now, I personally don't think that that is the start of the office of deacon, because the men are never specifically called deacons. But here's, here's what I do think. What we have there is a very early picture of this division of work in the church between those who are going to be responsible for the ministry of the word 
and shepherding, like we talked about last week, and those who are going to be responsible for meeting the physical needs of the flock. All right? So here's what we know so far. Hold on to this. A deacon is a server. It doesn't mean he's the only one who serves, but he is a person that the church can point to and say, that guy, if you want to know how to serve, go follow that guy because he is worth imitating. His life of service is worth imitating. All right, so then out of that, what do deacons do? What is it that deacons are responsible to do as they lead the church? And we're going to see in this minute, all Paul does here is list qualifications for deacons. Same as last week. All he does is say, this is the type of person that a deacon should be. So pretty much, I think what we have to do is we have to take that word, diakonos, deacon, and understand that it means servant, and then recognize that within the church, the deacon's responsibility is to serve. Let me, let me give you a few verses where it lands here in the, in the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 25, uh, verse 44. Then they also will answer, saying, this is in the sheep and the goats parable, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister, diakonos, you? Uh, here's another one, Acts 11:29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief, to send, the word is actually diakonea, to send service, to send help to the brothers living in Judea. And then Paul says in Romans 15, he says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid, diakonea, bringing service, bringing ministry to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Okay, these are just a few examples. So over and over again, when we see the word deacon, what it means is to serve in general, and then very often it means specifically to meet the needs of the poor and the needy. All right, so when it comes to the role of a deacon, they do things like help serve the Lord's Supper, help park cars, collect funds, but they also care for widows. They care for babies and children. They feed the poor. They meet emergency needs. So I hope you're seeing what the biblical picture of a deacon is. And maybe it's very different from, from what you've known, but deacons are simply chief servants in the church. And so when there's a physical need, the deacons are like this like specialized army who are there to move in because that's, that's what they do. And their, their work is no less necessary. I'm going to say this a couple of times this morning. Their work is no less necessary than the elders, okay? It's not elders, deacons. It's elders are, are shepherding, teaching, admonishing. Deacons are serving and meeting physical needs, okay? Two different roles within the body. All right, so with that, let's turn to our passage then. Um, the qualifications for deacons, this is uh, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 10, and then we'll, we'll jump down in verse 12, and we'll, grab, we'll come back and grab 11 in just a minute. Um, what kind of people are we looking for to fill these roles? All right? Um, he says, verses 8 through 10, deacons, likewise, 
must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And then down in verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. All right, so just for uh, the, the, the ease this morning, and these are very similar to the uh, qualifications for elder that we went through last week. I've divided these into the personal character of the deacon, the spiritual life of the deacon, the Christian service of the deacon, and the home life of the deacon. And we'll go through these very quickly. Uh, the personal character of a deacon. Deacons must be dignified. They must be worthy of respect. And this is sort of the equivalent of being above reproach. So you can sort of take all the qualifications of being an elder except for able to teach, and you can just sort of move them right over into what it means to be a deacon, all right? So this is a person who is engaged in service, and he, he takes his life and his ministry seriously because you know what? Ministry is messy, you know? Jesus got accused. You know, he's a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And, and, and what that means is as we get involved in people's lives and in trying to help them, especially physically, sometimes, you know, people are going to make accusations. Like, what are you doing messing around with those people? What are you doing hanging around with those people? Uh, something shady is going. And what deacons need to be able to do is to live a godly, a life of godly character so that nothing sticks. Jesus was accused over and over again of being a friend of sinners and of all of these things, but when he stood before the, the Sanhedrin, when he was accused, when he was about to be crucified, they had to make up stuff because there was, there was nothing that they could hold against him. So that's the kind of person that a deacon should be. He says deacons are to be not double-tongued, sincere, this is, a person, this is a person that you can know that is not going to go to one person and say one thing and then go to somebody else and say something else. His no means no. And he speaks the truth. If he says he's going to help somebody, he's going to work hard to help somebody. All right? He's, he's going to be able to be trusted. They are to be not addicted to much wine. Bill covered this last week. Simply, he cannot be given to drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin. Plus, a, a deacon who is going to be a model of service does not want to put himself in a position where he might have an opportunity to serve and find that he is impaired. And then finally, a deacon is to not be greedy for dishonest gain. And this just means that a deacon must be trustworthy. In that day, the money, like, we, they would have gathered the money into a a sack. They didn't have banks, okay? And so there were, there were people who were trusted with carrying the, the sack full of money. And, and you just want to know that, that these deacons are not going to be men who are going to be tempted to, to dip into that, that sack of money and take some for themselves. All right, so that's the, that, those are the, 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 the life qualifications of a deacon. And then this is the spiritual life of a deacon, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And this is just simply Paul's way of saying they need to hold on to what is revealed in the Scripture. Like, we think of mystery as something is hidden. Paul is speaking it of something that has been revealed, the, the Scriptures, the things about Jesus Christ that have been revealed, and he's just saying a deacon must be a person who holds on to that truth. He possesses it in his heart. He is not wavering, okay? 
Uh, in, in other places, Paul talks about people who are blown to and fro by different winds of doctrine. Uh, a deacon is not that person. He understands the scripture, the basics, and he, and he holds on to it. And then Paul says, with a clear conscience. A deacon is a person with a clear conscience. He, as we know more and more about the scripture, our conscience is becoming informed. And so what happens is that God uses that conscience. God has given all of us a conscience, and God uses that conscience then to alert us to the things that we're doing that may be against the Scripture, that may be offending God. And so a deacon is a person who is on the one hand trying to to live a holy life, but then when he does sin, when he does sin against God's Word, he is quick to repent. He is quick to repent. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so a deacon is just simply a person who lives with a clear conscience. Do you all know, some of you you need to hear this, because I I know we struggle these days with, with anxiety and guilt. Do you know that it is possible to live with a clear conscience? You don't have to feel guilty all the time. Some, some preachers like to say, well, I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. I would say this, I don't want you to leave here still feeling guilty, because guilt is a good thing. If God uses the truth of the Scripture to, to show you that you are guilty, and it leads you on to repentance, then you can live your life with a good conscience. Some of you, some of you live all the time feeling guilty. And you need to either repent for the first time and believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross for your sins and your sins are forgiven. Or if you are a believer, you need to follow the teaching of the scripture to confess your sins and believe that God forgives and that he cleanses. So a deacon is a person who lives with a clear conscience. Third, in regard to Christian service, he says, let them be tested first Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And this simply means that Paul expects us to have some kind of process for people to become a deacon, okay? Uh, We we want to look at people. He doesn't say what that process is supposed to be. There's no, like, appendix here that, you know, look in the back and you'll see what the process for appointing deacons is. He just says, "Does, does the deacon candidate meet these qualifications? Is he a model of service? Is his life worth imitating. And, and, and y'all, this is for elders and for deacons in the church. This is not the bar exam, right? It's not like we are going to find people and then we're going to give them a theology test and if they pass that test, they can be elders and deacons. Actually, what the scripture is telling us to do is find the people who are already serving and find the people who are already shepherding and then acknowledge the work that those people are already doing. So, so all we're doing is we are, we are finding men of godly character who are serving in these ways, and we're acknowledging what's already going on. And, and when we come to the congregation then, it's, it's not so much to say, you know, do you think or, or do you it's, it, it, these, think these people are, it's like, are we missing anything? Because, you know, we've seen, the, it looks to us like this is a man of godly character. It seems to us that he's serving all over the place or that he's shepherding all over the place. Have we missed anything? Does, does anybody know of anything that would disqualify this man from being an elder or a deacon? And if not, let's acknowledge the work that God is already doing through him. 
And then finally, home life. We talked about this one last week too. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Simply, like we said last week, a deacon must be a one-woman man. It doesn't mean that he can't be divorced in our understanding. It doesn't mean that he can't be widowed. It means that the woman he is with now is, is the woman that, that he is, is, is focused on with all of his heart. And he loves her, and he is, he is united with her, and he is faithful with her. It doesn't mean that, you know, before he was a Christian, he was divorced, you know, and, but now he's a Christian. It doesn't mean that he's disqualified. It's, it's what is the condition of his life now in terms of the woman that he is with. All right, so those are the qualifications for deacons. And now I want to turn to verse 13 because Bill sort of, Bill sort of floated this out there last week. There's a third office in this passage, okay? And, and so some of you guys are going to be fine with this, and some of you are going to be like, no way, I can't believe they just said that. But, but here's, here's what we find in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober-minded, I'm sorry, <laughs> but sober-minded, faithful in all things. <laughs> I got nothing. Bill would have had something witty to say there. I'm, I'm stumped. Um, okay, so here's what you have to understand here. Um, once we know that the role of deacon, that the role that the deacon is supposed to play in the church is simply that of a servant, of a chief servant, it should be no surprise to you that Paul is speaking of male deacons and female deacons. What we have here is Paul giving qualifications for women deacons or deaconesses. Okay, let me say this. If you have your ESV translation, and I hate to do anything to make you question your translation of the Bible, all right? I absolutely hate it because I, I am very confident in the translations that we have and that good men have done good work. In this case, I think the ESV has made a, a bad choice, but if you'll notice on the word wives, there should be a little, a little note, and if you look down the page there, it should say women. There should be a, a note down at the bottom. And women is the translation, okay? Um, they, they made a little interpretive choice there for some reason for us, but what, what Paul is saying is um, the women, likewise, must be dignified. Okay, so, so we see this then as a third office in the church. You've got elders, you've got deacons, and you've got deaconesses, and we want to be people who affirm what we believe the Bible says, and, and we think we're on good ground here biblically, and we're on firm ground historically. Um, Y'all, women have always played a very significant role in the church. Uh, one ancient church document from the late third century lists these areas of, of deaconing for a woman. They were to assist in the baptism of women. They were to go into heathen houses and help believing women who lived in heathen households. They were to visit the sick, bathe those who were ill, serve widows and orphans, and provide hospitality for strangers. Okay? So, as you know, there is tons of work that God has for deaconesses to do 
And, and so we want to be a church that recognizes that deaconesses in our body who are already serving as such are, are being properly recognized. Okay, so we have women in this church who serve in a lot of different roles. I would say every woman, every single woman who serves in our nursery is functioning as a deaconess. They're, they're caring for our children. The women in our hospitality ministry, they're functioning as deaconesses. We have women in our office who facilitate and they support our ministry in the areas of finance and administration. They are deaconesses. And we have many women around here who daily and weekly love and support and care for other women in various ways, physically and spiritually. They are deaconesses as well. Okay? So in the future, you're going to see us start to recognize that role, you may even say it, see it next week uh, when we have the Lord's Supper. Um, we see, see deacons serving, deaconesses serving in a way that is entirely appropriate scripturally for them to be able to serve in the church. And Paul lists four qualifications uh, of a deaconess with one exception. Um, these, are, these are pretty much the same. He says their wives, likewise, uh, the, their wives or the women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, uh, faithful in all things. That word um, slanderer there, malicious gossip, uh, the word Paul uses here actually means it's a me, me diab, diablos. It's a she-devil. Let her not be a she-devil. The devil is the chief slanderer of God's people, and a deaconess's duties is going to be, she's going to go into homes, and she's going to see a lot of things that are going on in people's lives, and she's going to be entering into there to try to help them in like perhaps sticky, messy situations, and she cannot be a person who's then going around and being like, you will not believe what is happening in that household. She cannot be that person. She cannot be, so she must be a person who is able to use her tongue to build up and not to tear down. All right, let's, uh, let's look then in verse 13. We have a promise for deacons, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap this up with three points of conclusion. First of all, um, the promise for those who serve well, verse 13, as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So they have a good standing. Literally, they, they will have a step up is what it means. So James says, if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. You know, so as people humble themselves as servants to serve others, you have that picture there of God sort of, you know, reaching down and saying, no, I, I, want, to, I want to exalt the humble. Because that's what we learn throughout the scripture, right? So if, if you are a humble person, a deacon who serves, then the promise that you can anticipate is that the God of the universe is going to reach down and lift you up out of that humility, and, and you're going to be exalted. And so you may say, well, I, I thought we're not supposed to be exalted. We're not supposed to try to be exalted. But if we serve, and if we're humble with our whole heart, and, and God exalts us, then, then praise God. Because that's the kind of glory we want to seek. We want to seek the glory that comes from God and not the glory that comes from man. Secondly, he says, you will gain great confidence. This is, this is the picture of a person who's building their house on the rock. You know, there's a lot of things you can build your house on. It's like we said, you know, uh, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. You can, you can build your house on on things and people and health and, and, and fitness and all of those things, but all of those things, they're, they're sandy ground. 
But if, if we build our house on serving, specifically on serving within the body of Christ, then you can live with great confidence that you are honoring and pleasing your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And even look forward to that day when he will see you and glory upon glories say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's, that's the goal. That's what we're looking forward to. So it's a great promise. Those who have served well as deacons gain a good standing and confidence. Okay, so just going to three simple uh, points of application this morning as we close. The first specifically related to deacons, and then the second to uh, sort of leadership in general as we tie up this section in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. First of all, number one, every Christian should aspire to be a deacon. It's that simple. Every Christian should aspire to be a deacon. It's simply, the word simply means one who serves, and Jesus is the great example of the one who came not not to be served, but to serve. And so, if anybody in the whole universe deserved to come to earth and be served, it was Jesus. And yet, even on the very last night, y'all know this story In the very last night, when he was with his disciples, he washed his disciples' feet. He even washed the feet of the one who was going to go out and betray him. So Jesus is our great example. And so the defining characteristic for us as Christians in every relationship, at home, at church, in our jobs, is that we would be characterized as servants. So dads, what kind of example are you setting at home? Do your children think of you as someone who serves? Are you setting the example for them of someone who who rushes in to serve, to be at the the front lines of service, or are you someone who they think of uh, as, as desiring to be served? Are you in a position of leadership at work? What example do you set to those who are under you? Would they describe you as a servant leader, as this, you know, would they say about you, that guy, my boss is a really... I mean, he leads, but he, it's really different than any other leadership that I've ever seen before. He, he's a, he serves. I, I don't know, and he, and he knows Jesus, and I, I really want to, is that the kind of thing that they would say about you, or would they describe you as a leader who demands to be served? And you have a great opportunity there to live out the gospel in front of the people you lead. To the children and teenagers in this room who are followers of Jesus, you have an opportunity to set a new standard. The world around you is telling you to get ahead, to cut corners, to do whatever it takes. But you too, even in middle school, even in high school, you can be a person who is known as a servant. Do you look for ways to meet the needs of others? Or are you someone who constantly is demanding that your needs be met? Let me just say this. I am so thankful that we have so many who serve here at CBC. I listed some of those things earlier. I'm so thankful for all the people who serve in kids' ministry, um, for those who come on Tuesday nights to neighborhood ministry and who, who feed uh, the, some of the people in the neighborhood, for those who, who play music here. Um, y'all know they don't just pop up here on stage at 9 o'clock, you know, on Sunday morning and just start. You know, they're working on that throughout the week. They're practicing. They're rehearsing. We're so thankful for all of them. And I am also very thankful that we have a team of deacons here um, who love to serve you and who think hard about it. 
I went to a deacon's meeting a couple of weeks ago, and those men talked about all the different areas of ministry in this church, and they talked about how they could serve better, and then they prayed for those ministries. So here's what I want to do this morning. If, if you are a deacon here, um, I would just like for you to stand up so that you guys can look around and see who your deacons are. Um, so if you're a deacon in the service, would you mind standing? Um, I tried to give a little heads up so that they wouldn't be totally uh, freaked out. So these, these are your deacons. And you know what? It's okay for you to clap. It's not okay for them to say clap, but if you guys clap, that's okay, all right? All right, so we're so happy that we do have so many people here um, who, who model service for us. Secondly, let's just, let's just clarify our terms here. What are the differences between an elder and a deacon, okay? And I, I hope you're going to have a clearer understanding of this. Here's a simple way to think of it, okay? Elders are shepherds. Deacons are servants. Those, those are the two offices that we have in the church. So elders are tasked with meeting the spiritual needs of the body, with teaching, with praying for you, with uh, counseling, with preaching, with admonishing, with all of those things. Those are the things that the elders are tasked with doing. And then deacons are tasked with making sure that the physical needs of the body are being met. Jesus said the greatest uh, commandment is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. It's almost like you could say the, the elders are the ones who are tasked with helping you love God better and the deacons are the ones who are tasked with helping you love your neighbor better. All right? Doesn't mean that some deacons won't teach. Doesn't mean that some elders don't serve. It just means that those are the roles that they are appointed officially to play. Okay? Let me also say this. The deacons are not the minor leagues, y'all. Like, we, we are not, like, trying to, like, see how people play as deacons to see if they're going to get promoted up to be elders, okay? Some deacons may be asked to be elders, but it's not because they're being promoted. It's just an, it's an opportunity for us to make sure that people are playing the roles that God intends for them to play. And then finally, just to, to land, godly leadership is essential for the church. Godly leadership is absolutely essential. So God hasn't given us a ton of specifics about how we should lead a church, okay? Um, you can go to a lot of different churches, and you can see a lot of different things. Some are going to have a very complicated leadership structure. Some are going to have simple leadership structures. You're going to have robes and collars and fancy pulpits and bells and, and aromas, you know, and all of those different things. And, 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 and you know, there's freedom, um, but I believe that according to the Scripture, there are two essentials when it comes to leadership, and that are these, godly character and accountability. God expects our churches to have godly counter character and, and accountability. So, so Paul spends a lot of ink here telling us about the character that these men should have, so we need to take that seriously. And then secondly, it's, it's, it's plural. There's more than one. Nobody gets to go rogue for the sake of accountability. You guys, and we'll get to this in chapter 5, you guys have a way of holding your elders accountable. 
Because that's a way to love your elders, to say, no, 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 we're not, we're not, we know our own hearts, we're not going to just trust you to run around and, and do whatever you want to do. We're all going to hold each other accountable underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you go out of here today, tomorrow, and find out that you have been transferred to another city and you have to find another church to go to, my hope is that you will look for a church that has godly, accountable leadership. Because, because the testimony of Christ will be exalted in that, and because throughout the history of the people of God, God's people have flourished when they have men of high character who are, who are accountable leading them. So, practical, this is, this is how God would have us do things in the church, get godly accountable leadership, and then there's, there's freedom under that to work it out with committees and whatever else that people decide to do, um, that's, that's where there's freedom. So, all right, let me pray, and, and then we will worship one more time. Uh, Father, thank you for the clarity of your word on this issue. Thank you that we have not been left in the dark. Father, um, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to lead us. I thank you for the men that you have given us, for the men that you have in these roles, especially um, for the men that we have as deacons, as we've seen today. Thank you for them, Lord. We pray that you would bless their service. Um, Father, thank you for your promise to them uh, that they will have confidence and high standing um, as they look forward to the, the day of your coming. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.